0: Well, hey, deal makers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. And yes, you can be an active entrepreneur and do your first deal. And we talk about that a lot on the show, but you can also achieve financial freedom by investing passively. And there's nothing better than multifamily syndications. In fact, we're working on active deals all the time. We'd love to talk to you if you're interested in investing in multifamily. You can find out more about our investment company, which is Nighthawkequity.com. Click the join button. You can schedule a call with us. And we'd love to have a conversation with you about some of our upcoming opportunities. I also want to do a shout out to one of our podcast reviewers, Biking Dane, said, Michael always shares great information as podcast information has helped me grow my real estate portfolio and become financially free. Highly recommend podcast. I'm gonna have to have you biking on Dane on the podcast if you indeed are financially free. So thank you for that. Really appreciate that. I also want to do a shout out to anyone who has done a deal that we've helped materially. And that this week is Chance Ireland. Chance has done a 24 unit in Springfield, Illinois. And it was a $1.3 million acquisition, which is awesome. He was working with one of our mentors, David Kamara. So congratulations to both of those guys. In fact, if you do value mentorship, and you want to uh, do bigger deals faster, avoid some of the bigger mistakes, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. And you can review a program and uh, set up a call with us and see if that's right for you. We'd love to have a conversation with you around that. All right. So today, let's get our our co-host here on the show, Garrett Lynch. What's going on?
1: What's going on, Michael?
0: So it's interesting to see how people kind of get into the business. And as we all know, the, the first deal is the absolute critical way to get in there. Because once you get your first deal done, the second and third kind of follow automatically. We call that the law of the first deal. We talk about that a lot. But there's a bit of a, a different mindset with people as they approach the syndication business. And some people kind of, they stick their toe into it and they do maybe a small deal, a duplex or a 10 unit you know, and they kind of scraped things together, and they get into the game, which is awesome. Then there's others, though, who kind of they have a bigger idea in their mind. They treat it more like a business, and you can see the difference by the way they approach things. For example, the latter one, they may put up a website, or they might actually, you know, put an office together, or they make immediately look for a partner, or they start putting a platform together or something. They approach it differently. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are around, you know, what's a better idea? Do you kind of, you know, do it as a side gig and you kind of treat it as a hobby and slowly ramp it up? Or should you approach it more as something like I'm building a business from day one? Well,
1: I don't think there's really a, you know, a right or wrong approach if you're getting into real estate. But if you do want to, want to create a business out of it, you have to think about who you're serving. Okay. Who are you adding value to? Because your income from that will will directly relate to who you're adding the value to, right? So if you start to involve investors, banks, your residents, you're increasing their standard of living, all of those touch points have value that you can add that directly relates to the amount of income that you're going to receive. How are we getting paid? You know, the amount that we're getting paid in doing this, It's just because we're adding so much value to those different groups. And so, you know, if you're doing just like a two flat on the side and and on your own, you're only adding value to maybe your residence and, and maybe a small bank at a small level versus you go in and buy a 300 unit complex. Now you have a large staff, you have a property management company, you have, you know, a lot of dollars out there in debt on the debt side, you have investors, you have a lot more that's happening. And so... So there's you know looking at it from the a microscope I've I've been in both seats and it's it's interesting on both sides for sure.
0: Well, I mean I was kind of with a former variety I kind of stuck my foot into it and did everything on my own. Uh, it was a 12 unit apartment building that I did back in 20, 2011. You know, and and I I watch people now having this on the podcast and having having the book and I see how different people get into it and I just want to say all paths lead to the same destination, which is first deal, second deal, third deal quitting job, right? It all these all there. But what my observation is that the people who treat it more of a business, they have a bigger vision in place, and they're more willing to invest in their business early on. So for example, in the early days, I would say, Oh, my gosh, look at all these asset management fees. It's pure profit, right? Because I didn't have any overhead. And I didn't want to spend any money on any overhead. It was I was just doing everything. But what I realize now is that me doing everything held me back from really scaling. And I think you were you were talking about impact, the impact you can make in a 12 unit building is markedly different than than 300 units, both on your investors, your tenants, the bank and all those things as well. And I find it interesting that people who treat it more as a business scale a lot faster. Because they're willing to spend money in the business, they're willing to hire that virtual assistant, they're willing to maybe invest in content, they're going to go out and find one or more joint venture partners, they're already thinking that they are at the helm of a multi million dollar business, which all syndicators are, whether you are the hobbyist, and you're just starting small, or you're going in big, the point is, anyone who gets a syndication is at the helm of a multi million dollar business. And I think you need to think this way. I think it sets you up for more success, helps you scale faster and in the process because you're surrounding yourself with people helps you avoid some larger mistakes. So for example, aligning yourself with a mentor or investing in your education, right? If you're kind of a hobbyist, you're like, I'm a a do it yourselfer, you're going to figure it out, you're going to make mistakes and take longer. And so I just I find that people who invest in themselves are willing to reinvest the proceeds or invest in their company. Are more successful faster. So it's just an observation I have, and one of the guys here, what we have here on on a show today, his name is Michael C Rock We call him C Rock for short. Really cool guy that we have in this episode. He's uh, written a best selling book called Rocket Fuel: Convert Setbacks Become Unstoppable. And he actually tells a story of how he got Grant Cardone to write the foreword to this thing. Pretty cool story. But he's a he's a performance coach, author. He speaks publicly. And he's a thought leader. He's been featured on Yahoo Finance as one of the top business leaders to follow in 2020. And his passion really is to build up people. He's just driven to inspire others. And you can get this in the interview as well. And he measures his own success on his ability to achieve greatness in others as well. And so he had a pretty rough upbringing, which we'll talk about, which kind of gave him the rocket fuel to where he is today. But really, really insightful interview with c Rock. Let's get right into it right now. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. you. Hey, C-Rock, welcome to the show today.
2: What's happening, Mike, Garrett, great to be here. I love to start every interview with gratitude, just to let you guys know how much I appreciate you allowing me to be here. And to thank your audience for showing up, and uh, you know, so that means the world to me. So thank you.
0: I appreciate you for setting the stage for the for the interview. It's awesome. Tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into uh, into your details a little bit.
2: Well, I'm a husband, a father of two, and a complete animal. Otherwise, you know, I, I just have this insatiable desire to go after my potential as far as impact—not just the the planet, but impacting others. And you know, I do a lot of things with that. So tech, mortgages wrote a book,
0: podcasting, and coaching, performance coaching. That's awesome. Well, You have a great, uh, a great podcast called What Are You Made Of? And I'm sure you get to ask this to your guests all the time, but now I'm going to ask you, C-Rock, what are you made of, man? Rocket
2: fuel. I mean, I'm made of rocket fuel, which is a fuel that allows you to become unstoppable to live in the life of your dreams. And my mission is that all people are unstoppable to live in the life of their dreams. And, uh, you know, that, that fuel can be a different type of fuel for many people. You know, I started off with dirty fuel and dirty fuel is fuel from your past, discouragements, screw-ups, setbacks, all that. And as you refine your engine, you need a higher octane fuel. So that rocket fuel has become more of the future dreams, and the impact that I'm going to have. And that pulls me forward now that my engine is a little bit more refined. So, whatever the fuel you need to get by where you are right now, you need to find. But uh, my fuel is complete rocket fuel.
0: How was your fuel maybe not the cleanest earlier on? And how did that hold you back?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I grew up around a lot of broken people, you know, and I'm not perfect myself by any means, but I'm just giving you the lay of the land. You know, I grew up around addicts, alcoholics, psychologically messed up people. Suicide, abuse, and you know, I come from a broken, broken home too. I don't remember my parents together. And when I first started out in my my life, my dad at one point when I decided to leave his house after I was in an abusive situation, my stepmom and all that, I used to sleep with my baseball bat at night when I was when I was nine years old because of the things I was seeing and hearing. And when I decided to leave my dad's house, he got served court papers by my my mom because I initiated the process. And my dad, who was my hero, he had his own masonry company. I loved how he's just a hard worker, man. I loved how hard he worked and big forearms and rough hands. He's a mason, you know. You could tell he's a hard worker. But he's Italian. And if you know anything about Italians, we don't carry wallets, we carry wads of money with rubber bands around it. And he used to carry a wad of hundred dollar bills around all the time and used to show me what money got. He used to show me what you know what it looked like. And I always looked up to him for that. But when he found out that I wanted to leave and he had these court papers in his hand, I confirmed with him that I was going to go. And he said, okay. And he takes that wide $100 bills out and he peeled one off, crumpled it up and threw it at me and said, well, here, you're going to need this then when you're living on the streets with your mother one day. And so for 30 some years, I used things just like that, including that as my fuel. I would store everything that came my way that would be designed to stop me, slow me down, discourage me. And I would store it in my tank. Instead of my trunk, where most people would keep it. And if it's keeping it in your trunk as weight, you're not using it as fuel. And so that has allowed me to get to where I am today and, and continue to propel no matter what happened. Now, that dirty fuel, though, I say that's toxic fuel. That stuff has a residue that you still use it, but it still has leaves a residue with you that eventually encases you into some kind of cocoon where you cannot reach your potential and you cannot go after things. So what I've continued to do my whole life is refine myself and educate myself and better myself so that I became a better engine. And when you do that, you can't use that toxicity anymore. That that toxic fuel doesn't work. Just like a Ford Focus engine compared to a Ferrari. You need to have something cleaner. And that is the goals and dreams that you set out for yourself that you know for sure you're going to get. Like There's no doubt that I'm going to get what I put out there. Even though they're unrealistic, unreasonable, crazy, that stuff pulls me forward now. You follow me? So And it doesn't leave the residue.
0: You were dealt probably a pretty bad hand. And a lot of people, you know, are fortunate not to go through that. However, many of us, we kind of have drifted through life and we're surrounded. We're not really surrounded by very supportive people. We're not really surrounded by people who are very ambitious, who want to better themselves. You know, and uh, I was never surrounded by people who were entrepreneurs or ambitious or anything like that. And this was totally normal for me in my life. How did you recognize that this was something they needed to get out of? And more importantly, how were you able to lift yourself out of that environment and create a better one for you? Well, one,
2: my mom, when I was really young, man, I just remember when I was three or four years old, my mom always told me how much I inspired her. I was the first child in the family. So, you know, I inspired her and, she, you know, you're so inspiring and you're going to be a leader one day. And I just remember this thing being told to me and I just operated under that premise. But the other thing, Mike, was that I'd never bought people's bullshit. All the people that are around me would always have a story of why they were doing it. And they would tell themselves the story so they could live with all the stuff that they were doing. And when you can't tell, the, tell yourself the story for why you're failing, you end it. And my grandmother unfortunately ended her life. I dealt with that as well. So not buying their bullshit allowed me to not buy my own bullshit. And so that's how I got out of it. I realized that, you know what, this is a story you're telling yourself. It's not true. And I'm not going to be in a situation where I do that. Now, of course I'm human. So that I do catch myself at times more in the past, trying to make stories and justify failures. And I, and I just stopped that, man. I, I didn't want to ever be that way. And so that has allowed me to elevate and help elevate those around me.
0: I mean, I get, what, is, what do you see some, some working for other people? A lot of us are mired in, with the same thing, but kind of but different. So you know, as you're working with people, what have you seen works get people out of the rut? Because they're kind of stuck, right? How do you get unstuck
2: Well, the reason that people are stuck, again, it's a story they tell themselves. They're not really stuck, right? Nobody's ever really stuck unless you're stuck in the ground. (laughs) So the story that you tell yourself is very important. So you have to pay attention to the words. And I know a lot of people hear this all the time. And it goes in one ear and out the other because you've heard it so much. It's kind of a lullaby effect, I call it. But at the end of the day, it's the story you're telling yourself. And what I talk about a lot of times is you got to start thinking bigger Like, you know, if you just think normally, you're going to be feeling normal. (laughs) I mean, so what I like to do is there's three C's I always talk about, and I'm not this brightest bulb on the the tree. Uh, So I like to keep things easy to remember. So three C's. One, the first one's clarity. I get clear and I get people around me very clear on what they want. If they're not clear on what they want, they have no direction, right? But I, I don't want just clarity on what you want and being reasonable. I wanted it if you had anything you wanted, no limitations, absolutely no... No rules. What would you want? What would it be? Because here's the problem, fellas most people do not understand their potential and how far that potential can go. So, how can we set proper targets and goals and say realistic and reasonable when we really don't know our capability? And we're basing our capability off our past experience or other people's past experiences and accomplishments. And what I found is that if you can get really clear and not base it on those things, and based it on there's got to be a better and a bigger way. There's got to be. There just has to be. I know there is. Then you get clear on whatever that picture is. The second thing is deciding or committing. That's the second C, committing to it. When I say committed, I'm not talking about one foot in, one foot out, half-assing it. I'm talking about inexorable, unyielding, unable to be stopped commitment. That has yielded me the most success in my life. And the people that I watch and I study, trust me, I study like super, super successful people. And what I've noticed is they know what they want and they've committed all out committed to it. And the final thing is consistency. If you're not consistent, you're not going to get anywhere. And consistency has to be more important and more valuable than your feelings and whether it's hard or not. And if you can accomplish always doing it when you don't feel like it and always doing it when it's hard, you get hundred percent participation from yourself. And that's the formula. It's not any more difficult than that. It's very,
1: very simple. C-Rock, how important would you say your peer groups are uh, in relation to that? So, you know, obviously the, you know, they always say that you're the the average, the five people that you're around, but has anything like that played into your story? And and if so, what did that look like for you?
2: Yeah. Anytime that I've had issues in my life, I've had uh, times where I wasn't advancing like I wanted to, there was a roadblock, some kind of something there that was holding me. It was because I chose the wrong friends or associates. And what I mean by that, it doesn't have to be bad people. It can be, but it could be people that are just not aligned with your mission or you don't know your mission. So how can you be in alignment? And so it's it's imperative that you surround yourself with people that are aligned with your mission. And obviously you want good people around you, but I've had the most trouble in my life when I didn't do that. And I don't blame those people. And even if they were bad or malintended, I have no blame on them. It's all me. That's the other thing. So how did you, how did you pivot into finding those people? Well, first of all, it's becoming aware of like how to, how to pick and choose your friends and your associates. You know, I learned the hard way, man. (laughs) I think a lot of us do. And this is, uh, it's been something that's cost me time, money, stress, a lot of relationships. And I, you know, I finally figured it out. You know, I started watching and studying people that were doing big things. And I noticed a common thing with them. Besides commitment and consistency, was that they had great people around them, and I'm like, well, that's the answer. And so I just, you know, model, mimic, and master my my mentors.
0: You you talked several times that you were studying people, and therefore you had all these mentors that through books and podcasts and things of that nature. Do you have any any other advice around people? Because you talk about things that are simple, but at the same time very hard. You know, think big, commitment, consistency. But the very few humans on earth are able to do those things. They're not able to think big. They can't commit. And as a result, they're actually not consistent. It's actually quite common, surprisingly so. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering why you think that is. But why does human nature like to think small, not commit, and not want to be consistent? And what can we do about this? Because someone watching is listening right now going, gosh, darn it, I can't stay consistent with this. I can't commit to that. I just can't do this thing. I can't go to the gym every three times a week. I can't do this. Why is that?
2: I think I had just heard you say can't six times. <laughs> that could be a reason. The fact that you said it was hard is another reason. And I know it's easy to say that. And some people say, come on, C-Rock, Rocket is hard. It's hard if you say it's hard. Because what happens in our minds, it's a subconscious thing in our minds If we say it's hard or I can't, we're going to do everything in our freaking power. This is the way we're built, guys. We're going to do everything in our power to make ourselves right. That's a survival tactic. So if I say I can and it's hard, everything that I see, hear, experience is going to justify that. So what I did for myself, and guys, I'm only speaking from experience and what I've seen from other people. So I'm not trying to preach to anybody. But from one of my experiences is that when I switched things to, man, this ain't going to be that hard this is an opportunity to get better. I can do it. That might take me some time but I can do it. Like I just switched my perspective. Then from there, everything that I saw, experienced it and heard and everything, it started to, I'm like, see, I told you, see, I told you. And I'm pointing out the things that make me right. So if you can just do that little switch, yeah, it, it can be hard. Of course it can be hard. And I know people hear this and they're just like, ah, oh, man, I, that's because they've already said in their mind that they can't. They've already said in their mind it can be hard. So when they're listening to me, they're listening for things to justify and make themselves right. Does
0: that make sense? It matters what language you're using is what I'm, what I'm hearing you say. So if you use a lot of negative language, it affects the way that you think. Versus, so just intentionally changing your language is kind of a starting point.
2: The decisions you make, your internal decisions you make with yourself. You know, you know, like I've done a lot of work on myself. And one of the things I was, I was doing this one thing and, and, you know, they're asking like, what decisions have you made? You know, what decisions can you, can you think about what decisions you've made? Not, maybe not spoke out to people because well, if somebody was sitting, listening to you, you could hear what decisions you've made internally, but what decisions have you made inside? I want you to take a second to really think about the decisions you've made inside and then, you know, run through it, man, look at the worst case scenario and then switch that to the best case scenario. And just do that over and over again. And you start to to, to program yourself into thinking, I want this scenario. I don't want that one. I want this one. I want the better one. And when you start doing that, man, everything changes. And you just feel like you can be unstoppable to live in the life of your dreams. It's not a fantasy. It's only a fantasy if you think it is. And I know some people can't handle this because they just don't have a reality with it right now, but I'm not going to stop talking about this. And I keep experiencing this over and over again, just because some people don't have a reality with it right
1: now. So I actually you know, resonate with this a lot because I had uh, a pretty big fallout with a business partner a few years back before I, I met Michael and, and Drew. And I was kind of in this position where I was like, you know, I can either choose to try to hide this big failure, this this story, or I can kind of bring it out into the open and and just acknowledge that it happened and make it a part of of me, essentially. And I think You want to push people to tell their stories. So why do you think that that's important? Because the journey to success
2: is often invisible and people are judging things for themselves of the journey that they're going to be taking based on seeing successful people and not seeing everything that they've been through. And so to me, I want to share what are you made of is what's the ingredients that have gone into making each person and share and expose that in a good way to help people. So that when things get tough, they realize that Joe Schmo dealt with the same thing, but he pushed through it. Joe Schmo didn't look at it as a setback. He looked at it as something that was required, a tool, a source of fuel, a training session for him to get to where he was. And so, you know, maybe even switching people's minds to proactively understanding that you're going to have things come your way that are adversities, challenges. That's part of it. You want that. If you don't have that, you're not going big enough. You're not not—you're you're not setting your sights on a high enough target. So that's the reason that I did it. And I think that I found three reasons why people don't share their story. One is because they think nobody cares about their story. You know, they think it's just ordinary and why would anybody care about that? And that's the exact opposite. The more ordinary your story is, the more people can relate to it. So the more people care. The other thing is sometimes that you might be embarrassed by your story. You know, like, you know, when I was growing up, we had some rough looking cars, brother. (laughs) I mean, we had some cars that I was a little bit embarrassed to pull up to the school with, right? Or, you know, we would go to the Jersey Shore as we were talking and we would stay at this tiny motel. Thank God we had a vacation, but our suitcases were black, hefty trash bags, you know? So the stories that you tell sometimes you might be embarrassed by. And finally, the last one, and this is the most powerful one, is I was underestimating and I think a lot of people do, underestimating the, the power that your story has to impact millions of people. And so, um, I hope I answered your question there. But that's my view on it.
0: I think the other one that that I've heard also is that people don't think that they have anything of value to say, which is a little bit no one cares, right? It's like, well, I'm not, I'm not an expert in X, Y, Z, therefore, I have nothing to say. And it's it's really it's that's actually not true. Everyone's story is is different. Number one, there's no one like you, and your experiences are going to be valuable to somebody. And and this is why you need to share those experiences. Now, you said something a a few times earlier about adversity, right? A lot of people don't do things because, of course, they're afraid. And typically, they tend to be afraid of failure. But why is adversity almost necessary? Like, why do you think it's actually a good thing?
2: Because one is that if you are, let's say you're clear on where you want to go, but you don't know how to get there. I've committed so many times, and I can't tell you enough, like, I've heard Grant Cardone say this over and over again because he's one that I've studied and I'm, I'm, we're, we're in business together now. And it's just I've heard this thing where commit first, figure the rest out later. Well, if you're going to commit and, that, and that's the only way to get going on the big, crazy things, sometimes because you don't ever know exactly how to do something. You don't know how it's going to go all the time. So when you do that, you get on a trajectory. And that trajectory might be one or two degrees off. You might be five degrees off. And so in order for you to be able to switch, that adversity comes to tell you that or show you that. Because if you keep going in the one direction, you're going to be, end up way off target. So that's one reason. The know-how, when I talked about not knowing how, adversity will come and teach you how, sometimes school of hard knocks. And so that's why. If you, if you had something that you wanted to accomplish and there was never adversity, every single person would be doing the thing that you're doing, or everybody would go after what they wanted to. And then it wouldn't be as good when you got that reward, because everybody would have it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's. I found that I have learned the most. I have evolved more in the times when I've had setbacks and challenges, and in times of successes. In fact, I remember before I left my my job, you know, I would I also started starting people, and I started reading, you know, bi autobiographies of very successful people. And one thing the pattern they all had is they all had failures, sometimes catastrophic, sometimes more than one. Like, literally, that was a, a pattern. Every single successful person had a series of failures. And I'm like, well, I'm a pretty successful person, you know, at the time, I thought. It's like, I've never had any kind of such failures. Obviously, there's a disconnect in my, in my mind. And now having been on my, on my own as an entrepreneur for 15 years, having successive failures, uh, one of which was basically catastrophic, you know, I would not be the person I am today without those uh, experiences. And they suck when you're going through them. You suck. I've had so many, and you maybe can share some of these things. Is you know, they they successes waves of failure. Like in my mind, it's like okay, and you you figure out, you know, it can't get any worse than this. So you kind of put a floor in there, and you're like oh, and then you you wrap your head around that, and then it gets worse than that, and you're like oh no, and it's you panic, and you and then you accept the new reality. And I have found at one point, I stopped like praying for crap around me, you know, to stop, it was like, what am I supposed to learn right now? Like, I was almost curious. Like, at one point, it was just like, oh, my gosh, it just keeps getting worse and worse. What can I learn? Right? What can I learn? I think if people have that kind of attitude around adversity and setbacks about what am I to learn? Because that's really what these setbacks do is they help you evolve.
1: It's so hard, like, when you're in it. So, like, I, was, I would always think, I'm like, all right, so I'm in this right now. Where is that? But sometimes when it's so bad, that's all you can think about. And you're like, okay. And there's always like for me at least, there's always like the slingshot effect. Like I always found like the worse it was, the harder I slingshot it back. Almost like the rocket analogy, the, the greater the come down, the greater the come up almost. That was kind of what I've what I found. I could definitely point to a few major, major instances where I would just got crushed. And one of the biggest ones. I wouldn't even be sitting here if if it didn't happen. Of course, so you know you you see that, and actually in the moment when you're in it, it's really really tough. But if you can almost take a step back and be like, "I'm so happy I'm here," which is kind of what you're talking about, C Rock, is like using that that is as fuel. You know, that I think that's super powerful. But you know, I, I wasn't admittedly always able to do that. And so I'm I'm curious, T Rock, like. Were you always able to do that, or was there a point where you just you just figured this out?
2: I subconsciously figured this out a while ago, and I was doing it, and about three years ago, uh, we lost somewhere in a million-dollar range, give or take, <laughs> and somebody had kind of, I don't like to phrase it this way because I've taken full responsibility, but somebody the owner of the company we're working for, there was money that he didn't give us and pay us right. And we're skimming this kind of thing, whatever. So I don't wanna get into the details of that because I take responsibility, I let it happen. But at the end of the day, I got to that moment and that was a you know significant setback. And when you're in the midst of a setback, you, you just referred to this, there's chaos and confusion and a lot of emotion. And when you're in that state, anybody that's confused will not be successful. They will not be able to see, think clearly, make decisions fast or clearly. And that's why you feel that way. So it's a proactive approach. Well, when I was going through this, I'm like, listen, this is a pretty big setback. I need some extra fuel here. What have I done in the past? Why have I always elevated no matter what has happened to me, what I was going through? What is it? And that's when I figured out this rocket fuel law, I call it, which is storing it in your tank instead of your trunk. I would take everything and do that. Once I became aware of that, then it was the super proactive approach where, look, here's the thing. I came into this world butt naked. I didn't speak. I didn't know anybody. And I had no money. And I had just, just me, butt naked. If I have to go back to that, at least I know how to talk. I have relationships. You know, uh, I know some things. And I can figure it out. So once you get that worst, that's my worst case scenario, by the way, Mike, I heard you talking about worst case scenario. I don't know if your worst case scenario was that bad. Um, but- I
0: wasn't butt naked in my worst case scenario, C-Rock. <laughs>
2: I mean, you know, look, you don't have clothes. That's pretty bad, you know? So at the end of the day, I just think, you know what? Look, if, if nobody ever knew about me failing, I wouldn't care. So I stopped thinking about worrying about what people think. That's the other thing. Like,
0: It's interesting that you say that because my my worst case wasn't me being butt naked, but it was pretty much basically utter loss of everything I had, everything I own, every car, every house. And maybe I had my wife and my kids at the point in my worst case. That was pretty bad. I mean, it, it was everything was removed from me. And, and apparently I valued things around me. I must have valued possessions or or, or money because, you know, it really made me very anxious, very really stressed me out. And once it was all taken away from me, I didn't care either. Literally. It's like, hey, you know what? It was pretty bad. I got out of it. But if I if I for somebody had to go back there again, I would be okay. And and you you don't you don't learn that. Or it's very difficult to learn that without facing adversity. I think there's a lot of people who can do this. They don't have to necessarily experience disaster to learn something. They can study people like you did and and look at these people and go, you know what? I don't need to go through that necessarily. I get it, okay? I get it. I'm content with anything I have, and I'm not afraid of failure. I think that's like a higher, more evolved level of wisdom. I had to learn this, you know, myself, and before that, I was very stressed out and worried because I was afraid of that failure. I wasn't able to potentially accept that. Now, you you have. You've also probably been at a low, low point. And you're like, you know, if I had to go back there, I will. And it's not going to stress me out. I'm just going to do the best I can. That's very liberating.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, look, if you had to go bankrupt and you lost everything, but nobody found out. And then you just were able to, I mean, nobody found out. And all you had to do was, that. that's one thing. And the other thing I started thinking about, right, is... What if I did have to do that? And this is kind of like a SWOT analysis. You've heard of that before, right? Threats, you know, weaknesses, strengths, opportunities. I think I didn't back majority there, but the, but the threats, like what happens if I have to go back? Like, what am I going to do? What are the steps? What would I do first? And what would I like go from there? And who would I talk to and, and start thinking about these things? And you're like, oh, okay, well, I would just talk to so-and-so and try to get a job here or try to get a sales job here, or start a business here and then starts thinking, well, shit, that ain't that bad. (laughs) So then you just roll. And then you start thinking about where you are right now and start thinking about winning rather than losing. And so, uh, yeah, man, I've been in dark places before. That one particular incident I was telling you about was probably one of the dark, I think the darkest and toughest, but man, I came blasting out of there. And I just know that like, no matter what, I'm shooting so high now though, like if I come up short and something happens, I'm going to be like better than I would if I didn't do this. Like, you know, I, we just started a tech company. We just got Grant Cardone involved in tech and 10X Incubator. And these are things that I was studying someone and learning from. And I never would have thought back when I started doing that, that I would be in business with someone like, like Grant. I never thought that I would, you know, possibly have the, be the spark to 10X Incubator, which is one of the biggest things Grant will even do beyond real estate. Like that's just, mind blowing to think from back then, but now I feel like it's possible and it is now and it's happened. So just this, all this works guys. And I, and I'm seeing these results from this to show this and experiencing it. So it's not just somebody just sitting here blowing smoke. And I'm not the same you thought that, but I felt like that in the past where I believe this stuff could happen and it didn't happen yet, but now it's happening. And now I
1: can be like, yeah, this is what I was talking about. I had somebody that was they're like, man, you really made it. That's great. You got you got to hear. You you made it. You're set. And I used to think that I was set in my last business. I ha, I mean I had thirty four hundred apartments that I owned a large percentage of all of them. I'm like, yeah, I'm set. I'm good for life. And the whole thing crashed and burned and in a, in a way. So when anyone says that to me now, I almost am like, no, <laughs> like. You have no idea how fast they can all unfold. It can all fall apart. And, you know, that that's just the truth. It could, something could shift in the market tomorrow for me or relationships or anything can happen. And as an entrepreneur just knock you out of the game, but I am, you know, convinced that the foundation that's been built up to this point, you know, I could be left in the jungle and come out, you know, the King. That's really how I, I feel right now. And I do think a big component and my last thing, one of the biggest mistakes I made is I didn't build the relational capital along the way. You know, I exited my, my last company and I got like bought out and I was like, okay, well, I don't have anyone to really, where do I, I don't even know who to talk to now. And I think it's cool because you're, you're talking about, you're like, man, I, I'm in with Grant Cardone. It seems like you've kind of worked your way up to get to that level. Well, what was that networking process like for you to get in, in with somebody like him and, and some of the other people that you're working with? Well, first of all, I'm very impatient. And this is something that I'm personally working on. I'm
2: transparent as hell. I tell people like what the deal is. Um, and one of the things I notice about myself is it's helped me. It's, a, it's an asset and a liability really. But I started out reading the, like the 10X rule. I'm just gonna give you this example of this journey, okay? Started reading the 10X rule. I read it. My brother said, this guy sounds like you. You need to read this. I read it. I'm like, he's talking to me. And this is probably back in late 2018. And then I said, well, man, I want to get more involved with this. I need to get like immersed in this because this is, this, I can relate to this. And so I got to the point where my wife said that Grant lives in our house because I was always playing videos and 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 Cardo University, just different things. Because I wanted to be, I wanted to see what I could do to get to that or beyond it. And that's important too, by the way, not to that level, but beyond that level. You got to go big. You got to go like further than your mentors or aim that way. And so when doing that, I started having success with it. And when I had success with it, I shared it. And I, I got in my mind that, look, I'm going to be the best person that they ever teach. I'm going to be the most successful person that they ever teach. I'm going to be a case study. My team, we're going to be the best. And I'm, I'm going to continue to tell them all the time what we're doing and how we're doing. And we did that. And so what that did was it created it. My name kept coming up over and over again in their meetings and in their office because we were having success with their products, but I did it on purpose and I didn't do it necessarily what I wasn't thinking at that time, like doing it for myself. I was doing it because I wanted to make, justify the purchase that I made and the investments that I was making and show them since I was having success, like kind of like a payback. Right. And, um, you know, I made a, a connection with, uh, like some of the guys in there. And then I started building a relationship with Jared Glant, who's the president. And he's just a great guy to be around. Great dude. Like just the way he thinks and acts and, you know, I'm attracted to those kind of people. I want to be around those kind of people. So we went out to dinner. Our wives connected, and and then from there, uh, I wrote the book Rocket Fuel, and Rocket Fuel was about turning setbacks into rocket fuel and and becoming unstoppable. And when I started writing the book, I'm like, I'm going to have Grant write the forward for this book. Now I didn't know if he ever did one. I don't know if he would. I didn't know how that process works, and so. <laughs> I started telling my team, look, we're going to go forward with this. And just so you know, we're going to approach this where Grant's writing forward. It's a bestseller. Never wrote a book before. I don't even know how to write a book, but we're going to write a bestseller. I need everybody here thinking this way. If you don't, you need to exit now. And everybody stayed and believed it. So I got a year and a half into it. The book manuscript was done. And by the way, this mindset you have to have when this goes on and you commit to this is that you got to put out quality and you got to get it done. There's no other thing that can happen, no other outcome. So I called Jared Glenn up uh, when it was done. And I said, Hey man, can I get a, do you think I can get a quote for the book? It's ready to go. And from you, from Jared. And he's like, yeah, sure. No problem, man. And, uh, and then, and then a thing's going through my mind that I committed. And when I commit guys, like, it's like, I'll eat my leg off to get it. <laughs> and uh, not that I want to, but I'm thinking in my mind, like, man, I'm friends with Jared and I don't want to make him feel uh, uncomfortable if he can't perform what I'm about to ask him because I need this thing. And he goes, uh, so I just said, it, but I said that. And I said, uh, you think Grant would write the forward for the book? And he's like, I don't know, dude. I don't think he does that. I don't think he's done that before. He does it, and he won't do it just for anybody. You know, I'd have to probably see the book. I know he won't do it for free. I said, dude, just, just give me the details, man. Like, I don't need to go through this list. Just give me the details. I'll figure it out, man. Um, and he goes, all right. So he comes back a few days later and he says, yeah, Grant said he would write the book. Yes, for who? He said, I told him you. And he's like, dude, let's roll but he won't do it for free. You know, he values his time and he said 75,000. And like, when I heard that, I'm like, because what I'm thinking is I'm doing this, right? I'm committed, but I hear 75. And then that's a big, like, obviously hurdle, roadblock, something going to be in my way. So I get a little bit of like fiery inside. And I'm like, what the, are you kidding me? Like, I didn't say this to Jared, but uh, I'm just like all the money that I've invested and the success that I've had. And and I, I started being pity party, selfish, Mike, right? Five minutes of that. Then I'm like, wait a minute, this is not who I am. First of all, he has no like obligation to do this for me, and it doesn't have to be f- like. What am I thinking? You know. So then I started thinking. I so I texted Jared back and I said, "Dude, I might be crazy enough to just do this." And I say crazy because I know I'm not going to get book sales, first time book author that's going to pay seventy five grand in just the book part. Intrinsically, though, it will pay off if I make it pay off, and so but it appears crazy to most people. So I went to my wife and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What if I did this? What kind of story would that be? And she goes, look, you don't need to talk to me anymore. Just You've already made your mind up. Just go do it. Because she knows how I am. I talked to my publisher. She said, you've already made your mind up. Go do it. I'm like, all right, well, now I got to figure out how to get this money because I don't want to use my money. And so I talked to my partners and the mortgage business. We do everything together. We're best friends. We grew up since we were elementary school. We work together now. And I said, guys, listen, I'm going to do this. I see value in this. I know this is going to work out. I'm going to do this with or without you. Do you want to be along for the ride or not? And all three of them all said, "Look, we believe in you. We're on. Let's roll." And so they all pitched in. That 75 came down to divided by four, whatever that is, 17 something. And then it's a tax write off, so they 12, 13 grand. I got him to write the forward. We wired the money, 75 grand, over to Cardone, and they probably shit their pants. And I know Grant told Jared that this dude's he's crazy, but he's smart. Like he, he's on something. And so I didn't know what was going to come from that fellas. Like I had no idea. I just knew that I had credibility now. Cause that, I put his name on the cover of the book. I was able to market it all over the place. Bestseller. The first day it was on the market because we did such a good job with marketing pre-sale and still didn't know what I was going to do from there. And I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to market the shit out of this book. Well, I ran into this guy named Jared Yellen and he knew of Grant, but he didn't, they didn't. You know, he didn't have any connections or anything. And I talked to him about what he was doing. And he started a tech incubator where 10,000 tech companies in 10 years is what he was going to launch. That was his moonshot. By the way, stop me if you have questions, because this is the end of the story here. But I just want to make sure I get this in for you guys, because this is a pretty crazy story. So I'm like, dude, you got a 10,000 tech company goal in 10 years. I was working the numbers and I'm thinking that means like 84 companies a month launched, not pitched to you, but you launched 84, 10 years straight per month. I don't want to shoot you down, but I don't even know how this is going to happen. Then I started thinking, who would be the person that could get this done? And then I thought, obviously, Grant. And I'm like, well, shoot, I'm going to reach out to Jared Glant and tell him that I'm starting a tech company with this tech incubator. I'm going to make money and make huge impact. They might as well get on board with it. And Jared goes, dude, I cannot believe you're calling me right now. We're thinking about getting it into tech. And we were already interviewing some people, and this is just the timing couldn't be better. And I had no idea of that part. And they set up a meeting. Jared loved it. Jared loved my Jared. (laughs) And then he brought Grant in, and Grant's eyes got like this big. And he's like, I could see this being the biggest thing I've ever done, guys. This is like, you know, and that quick, 10X Incubator was launched. And the goal was 10,000 tech companies in 10 years. And just to give you an idea, they, they just got started. And last week they signed 15 companies and we did seven yesterday. So it's possible when you set your mind to something, whether you think it's reasonable or not. And now, man, I'm along for the ride and I'm going to just do whatever I got to do to push this forward and bring other people like yourselves with us because everybody deserves to be a tech co-founder as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, you know, I love that. It's, it's really about the vision. And, you know, I find myself constantly, as soon as I have an idea, I'm, I'm an implementer also. So I'm trying to figure out the steps to get to that vision, which is good and bad. The good news is I can see a path there. But when I can't see a path to someplace, I cut off the vision, right? And 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 you cut you caught yourself doing the same thing. I'm going to get Grant to write the foreword $75,000. Oh, can't be done, right? 84 a month can't be done. And then you caught yourself and you said, Okay, forget about the implementation for a second. I love the vision and we're going to figure out how to do it. And I think that's the, the lesson here. A lot of times is we limit ourselves by our own reality. And by removing a reality from that, we can think a much bigger and then we'll figure out the details how to, how to get there. So I, I love that. That's a great example of applying some of the principles that you just talked about, about clearly committed and, and consistency. One last question I have for you. It's your last day on earth, C-Rock. What do you want to be remembered by or for?
2: So this question comes up quite often. I've heard it quite often. And uh, it's a great question. And I think the main thing that I I always feel when I just usually don't think about what I've talked about before, it's whatever comes to me. And I want to make people feel like my heroes have made me feel. And my my heroes have given me this feeling of unstoppability. Like I can run through, I I just can do whatever I want. I, I really, I think I gravitate towards those types of people. And I want people to feel like that when they're around me. I want people to feel elevated. I want people to feel like, holy cow, like that's all I got to do. Like I can do that. Yes, you can. And I want them to be like that when they leave, they still feel like when we're on this Zoom call right now, this this podcast through Zoom, like we're not in person, but I want to be able to come through and shake you guys so that when you get off this call, you're like, dude, I got to tell somebody about this guy. He's like, I felt him. That's my intention. And so when people go away from me, I want them to be still shaking a little bit. You know what I mean?
0: I love it. Well, it's been great to have you on the show, C Rock. How can people find out more about you?
2: Uh, you know, I'm on Clubhouse and Instagram a lot. Those are my two favorite platforms. LinkedIn, dude, I'm really everywhere. I did it on purpose. If really the the Blueprinted is the new app that we have coming out, and Blueprinted, if you just a real short version of that is the Amazon of success blueprints. Anybody that's had success in any vertical area, business, whatever, there's going to be a blueprint step by step guide from different experts of how to get there. And that's what we've created. It's launching actually this week. And uh, I'm really excited about Blueprinted, spelled B-L-O-O-P-R-I-N-T-E-D, blueprinted.com. If you go there, you can check it out. And uh, that's the best place probably to go to be sent right now.
0: Awesome. Man, I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you here. Uh, So thanks again for being on the show today.
2: Thanks, fellas. I appreciate you guys. It was a great interview too. Thanks.
0: So I, I love his story, Garrett, and what became clear to me, and we talked about it a bit, is, is the importance of adversity. You know, if you're listening to this and you haven't had a lot of adversity, don't be afraid of adversity, because it makes you it makes you more resilient. While it may increase your stress level at the time, it will make you more resilient and reduce your stress level, allowing you to handle. Higher and higher situations of of stress. That's been my experience. You know, C-Rick had a pretty rough upbringing as well. Then he lost a major amount of money. You know, a, a lot of people, you know, they just kind of give up a little bit. And I think the majority of them, why they might not give up as much, they probably don't even they they're not even willing to get started, right? Because of the possibility of failure.
1: I've seen this obviously over and over again in my life as well. And I think. Every time you go through some kind of adverse situation in general, I mean, there's there's people that fold and then there's people that that are resilient. And I've seen people that lost businesses and they just kind of went and got a job after. And I'm just thinking like, I could never do that because how many lessons existed inside of that kind of failure that could take you to the next level? Uh, and so I really, yeah, I really think that that is such a key and if you think about this, like the people that are the most successful in the world, all they do is they solve the biggest problems. Look at anyone, uh, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, they're just solving the biggest problems. So every time you go into that kind of an adverse situation forces you to solve bigger problems, next time those problems are not going to be as big. And so I, th- I think that's a really you know, key point in what he was talking about for sure. So the other thing I liked that he he mentioned, so he, he talked a lot about clarity, commitment and consistency. So I thought that was really interesting actually, but those, I think those three things are really important when you're learning how to move forward in that kind of a, an environment when you're down.
0: I think clarity is the key piece because I think commitment follows from clarity and consistency follows from commitment, right? If you are clear on what you want, if you really are clear and you believe in that thing, well you're already committed by kind of default. I think I find a lot of people who start down the path and we meet them on the podcast, or we meet them at our live event. And they say, Oh, yes, I'm going to be financially free. Well, then they don't do anything. Why do they not do anything? And I think it's because they're not clear about what they want. They're not clear about what they don't want. They're just they don't have clarity in life. I mean, if you knew exactly, if I said, Garrett, there's a $50 million deal, go get it. You're like, and you're like, have clarity, you are not going to let go of that $50 million deal unless they kill you, right? Because you have super clarity on that thing. And I think clarity is, is, is key. A lot, I think a lot of people skip the clarity step, you know, because it's kind of woo woo. And I thought it was like, oh, this woo woo thing, you know, mindset crap, you know, and, and I don't know, I no longer believe that, which is why I practiced a miracle morning. And I try to get really clear. I'm trying to get better at visualizing. I suck at visualizing. Even though I'm a visual person, I want to get really clear. I'm reading a book called uh, vivid, vivid Vision right now that helps you really articulate the vision for you personally, for your family, for your business, and getting really clear about what something looks like in three years. Like, Just describe it in in visual vivid terms. And I love that. I think everyone listening to this, watching this right now, should go through a similar exercise. Well, you want to be financially free? Well, great. Why? What does that look like? right? And even maybe, what does it look like if you're not financially free? Like, What does that look like? Is that attractive to you? Well, if it doesn't, don't bother you know, chasing financial freedom. So I, I love that. I love that thing about, about clarity.
1: So these three are actually in order. Which is, you know, clarity, then you can commit. And then you have to create consistency after that, which is pretty cool. And I think that there's a good example. Like even when we first started working together, we had like a really, our first time working together, a huge failure where we put a a 545 unit two property deal on our contract. And that was the the clear vision that we had to move forward. We did all these things. It didn't end up working out, but the cool thing that happened at the end of it was that we got to work together exclusively. And so there was, there was almost that we almost went through that process together as a partnership. And I don't think without that deal in El Paso that we lost and lost a bunch of money on, I don't know that we'd even be here still talking to each other. And so I think that that was, that was a real defining moment that came from an adverse situation. You know, we had all three of these things and it, it didn't work out, but something else great came from it.
0: Well, that's exactly right. It actually made us made us stronger by going through adversity. That's another thing makes you stronger and makes the team you went through strong as well. So you know, don't be afraid of adversity. I I wouldn't say welcome it, but don't resist it. I think it's it's a good thing. And as unpleasant as it is, uh, going through it, you always come out stronger. That rocket fuel that Seabuck was talking about. I think that's super key. And we talked a a lot about the first deal on this thing. If you want to do your first deal, and you have not done your first deal, and mentorship maybe is not right for you we have the second best thing which is our dealmaker blueprint it really outlines everything you need to do for those first 90 days what you need to do week one what you need to do week two everything leading up to your first deal that is what's in the dealmaker blueprint so go to the michaelblank.com forward slash blueprint and check it out it's a, a new thing that we're launching and I'm really excited about that. We put several dozen people through it, and it's it's basically bite size action. It's, it's an online course where we teach you everything you need to know about getting into your first deal, raising money, uh, hiring property managers. And then actually connecting that knowledge with what you need to do in the first 90 days, a little bit at a time, just one little bite at a time to get something really meaningful done. And it's, it's worked for a lot of people. And I'd love, I'd love it for you to, to try that out if you want to get into your first deal and you haven't done so. So check it out the michaelblank.com forward slash blueprint. And hopefully we'll have you on the podcast here uh, in, in a bit when you become financially free. So thanks so much for listening and watching this. Catch you guys next episode. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading the free blueprint on closing your first multifamily deal. Head over to themichaelblanc.com blueprint to get the free training.